Hey everybody, it's Dan Dan, and today we are diving on into a step study. So pick up that manual of awesomeness called the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions and open it up to step 12. And in the back of step 12, we're going to start off with these words. It's let's here take note of our improved outlook. And what's so great about those words is our improved outlook is sort of built on what we've already covered in step 12. And here's, here's the caveat to step 12, especially in the 12 steps and 12 traditions. In step 12 of the big book, it's really about working with another alcoholic, almost exclusively. In step 12 of the 12 and 12, it's really about practicing these principles in all of our affairs. And he goes over a particular set of affairs after that first piece, which is why it's important to do that. And it goes into the intimate relationships of our life and focuses a lot on the marriage relationship and our relationship with money. And it walks away from that saying that money gradually became our servant and not our master. It became a means of exchanging love and service with those about us. Instead of this pathway to grandiosity or big shotism, instead of some future money amount, some, something that sits off in the impossible future that'll make us whole when we get there. The delusion that it sits out in the future, right? That's really what all that was about. And it's right here, right now. So how this wraps up is a little bit more about our improved outlook. We now understand the importance of practicing these principles, and we also understand that it starts at home. Here is the important part. If you're going through this 12 steps and 12 traditions and you run across step 12 and you're like, oh, it just seems like lofty spiritual mumbo jumbo, you know, almost religious junkola. Think about this. Perhaps you have not adequately, honestly, and thoroughly done the previous steps. This makes the assumption that you have thoroughly practiced all the steps, that you've walked through these things with a sponsor, you have an excellent understanding of the tools of the steps and a knowledge of how to apply them in your life. Yeah. So if you don't have that, this step might seem really difficult. He warns us in the first part about being a two-stepper, you know, the step one, like I can't drink, I'm a freaking drunk. And I know if I help other people, I'll stay sober. True, true. And he tells us to move from being a two-stepper to a 12-stepper, that the steps 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 are so important to continually improve your life. And he tells us that we must continue to, to grow spiritually. And that's the real deal here. And it's not limited to merely alcoholics. It's limited in no way at all. We're to get along with every single person on planet Earth to the greatest degree possible. Woohoo! That's what it says. So how do we do that? Well, there's one thing at the end of what we're going to read today that we're going to talk about exactly what that means. And my hope is to tie all the steps into this one little anomaly of the book. So let's get started. It starts right here. Let's take note of our improved outlook. The assumption that your outlook is improved as a result of doing the steps, becoming familiar with the tools and applying these tools the elements of your life. And when it says we in here, and it speaks of a group of people that isn't you, it's not we that's me, it's the we that's them. That we is 
representative of people that have done exactly that, that have thoroughly practiced these steps to the best of their ability and found a long-term happiness that results from living the AA way of life. Yeah, it'd be those we's. Not the me we, but the them we. You ready? Let's here take note of our improved outlook upon the problems of personal importance, power, ambition, and leadership. Personal importance, right? I want to be number one. I want to be the most important. But we all know what it's like to not be the most important person. And for some people, it leads to a really negative experience. And think about weddings, for instance. When you go to a wedding, you're not the most important person there. That's just how it is, right? So if you're not the most important person, that's actually a good thing. It says, these were reefs, like places where ships wreck, upon which many of us came to shipwreck during our drinking careers. Hmm. Practically every boy in the United States, I don't think this is true anymore, but practically every boy in the United States dreams of becoming our president. He wants to be his country's number one man. As he gets older and sees the impossibility of this, he can smile good-naturedly at his childhood dream. In later life, he finds that real happiness is not to be found in just trying to be a number one man or even a first raider in the heartbreaking struggle for money. Heartbreaking because of the way we go about it. We think we deserve it. We have this sense of entitlement that I've done, therefore I get. That I've earned it. We don't recognize the variables and pitfalls and all the other people that are affected by our work and perhaps also competing with us, right? That's a true thing. In business, there's always an underlying competition, right? Heartbreaking struggle for money, romance or self-importance, all things of a competitive nature. He learns that he can be content, very important sense. He can be content as long as he plays well Whatever cards life deals him, life on life's terms, right? Uh, the world should suit me, not me suit the world as a roadblock to this idea. I'm going to fashion myself and use my mind to put the framework that I'm going to meet the world's demands instead of demand of the world. He's still ambitious. Yeah, it's not a lack of ambition. The question is, is it ambition masquerading as greed, as he said earlier? He's still ambitious, but not absurdly so, because he can now see and Except a great word, actual reality, meaning some sort of objective reality. He's willing to stay right size. So here's something I learned. Uh, it's, a, it's a common thing in business. It's a cognitive behavioral therapy technique. It's, it's a list of things, questions, a filter, if you will, that you can run your thoughts through. And it is real quick. Number one, are my thoughts based on actual reality? Number two, are my thoughts helping me protect my health? Are my thoughts stressing me out, creating anxiety? Number three, are my thoughts helping me achieve my short-term goals and my long-term goals? Number four, very, very important one for me, are my thoughts helping me keep out of conflict with others? I fail on that one all the time. And number five, are my thoughts helping me feel the way I want to feel without the use of alcohol? Great filter to put these ideas through. So you can find that actual reality. When it's no to all those, call your sponsor, pray, hit a meeting, read a book, get on with what the program says to do. And most importantly, do this 12-step work. Go serve somebody. He's willing to stay right-sized. He's willing to stay right-sized. Right-sizing is just humility. It's seeking and doing God's will. But not so much with us alcoholics. Woo 
When AA was quite young, a number of eminent psychologists and doctors made an exhaustive study of a good-sized group of so-called problem drinkers. The doctors weren't trying to find how different we were from one another, because we're not, right? They sought to find whatever personality traits, if any, this group of alcoholics had in common. They finally came up with a conclusion that shocked the AA members of that time. And you're going to love the conclusion. You ready? These distinguished men had the nerve, the nerve, Bill says, the nerve to say that most of the alcoholics under investigation were still childish. And we had a temper tantrum about that. Emotionally sensitive and grandiose. Okay, okay. So that, that's true. I, I, I got to admit that's true. I don't like it, but it's true. How we alcoholics did resent that verdict. Yeah, we had temper tantrums for being called childish, right? We were very emotionally sensitive to this insult that they had the nerve to say. And gosh, I'm way better than that. Not grandiosity, right? How we alcoholics did resent that verdict. We would not believe that our adult dreams were often truly childish. And considering the rough deal life had given us, we felt it perfectly natural that we were sensitive. Of course, look how I've been treated. Hmm. As to our grandiose behavior, we insisted that we had been possessed of nothing but a high and legitimate ambition to win the battle of life. I'm a life warrior. Do not call me names. In the years since, however, most of us have come to agree with those doctors. That'd be me. We have had a much keener an ability to think clearly is what keen means. A much keener look at ourselves and those about us. We thought clearly about it finally. We have seen that there were, and this is very important, prodded by unreasonable fears or anxieties. We have seen that we were prodded by unreasonable fears and anxieties into making a life business of winning fame, money, and what we thought, thought was leadership. So false pride that look at my achievements, look at these material things, look at this idea of all the things that I can do, all the things that I got. So that false pride became the reverse side of the ruinous coin marked fear. And who are we trying to impress with these things? Who is it that gives us this elevation in life? Who is it that we want to be seen and reverenced by? Well, our friends, enemies, associates, and relatives, the fear, F-E-A-R, friends, enemies, associates, and relatives. That's what I'm really afraid of. Those people, and they may not see me, they all want to be seen. It goes on. We simply had to mean number one people to cover up our deep lying inferiorities. The ego freak with the inferiority complex. In fitful success, we boasted of greater feats to be done. In defeat, we were bitter. Another way to say that is we're never, ever satisfied. There's no amount of money, no amount of sex, no amount of stuff, no amount of anything on the material plane. That satisfies us. If we didn't have much of any worldly success, we became depressed and cowed. Uh, then people said we were of the inferior type, but now we see ourselves as chips off the same old block. Another ant on the anthill. At heart, we had all been abnormally fearful. It mattered little whether we had sat on the shore of life drinking ourselves into forgetfulness or have plunged in recklessly and willfully beyond our depth and ability. That's something I did a lot. I recklessly spent other people's money and plunged on in way past my own depth and ability. 
And if there's something that humility has given me, it's the ability to see myself as the idiot and the world as the genius. You know, my customer is the genius, my employee is the genius, my coworker is the genius, because I'm going to learn from them. And I don't have to have all of the answers. What I got to have is the ability to ask some questions, right? That's it. Here's a, and we're going to, this is an important sense. The result was the same. All of us had nearly perished in a sea of alcohol. That's the thing that ties us together. That is the commonality we share. But today, in well-matured AAs, critical idea, well-matured AAs, people that have become comfortable and familiar with practicing the steps in all their affairs, these distorted drives have been restored to something like their true purpose and direction. So there is a place for ambition. So there is a place to want to be the winner. There is a place for these things. There is reasonable competition. There are excellent goals, practical, doable, achievable goals. These things actually do exist. There's nothing wrong with wanting to run your company. There's nothing wrong with wanting to win the activity you're in. You know, maybe you're a cyclist or a runner or something like that. There's nothing wrong with ambition that stays within the scope of reality. You know, the objective reality that you're looking for. Goes on, we no longer strive to dominate or rule those about us in order to gain self-importance. We no longer seek fame and honor in order to be praised because we get it from God. When by devoted service to family, friends, business, or community, we attract widespread affection and are sometimes singled out for posts of greater responsibility and trust, we're talking about alcoholics here. Isn't that fantastic? The practicing of these steps can actually have this happening in your life. When it does, we try to be humbly grateful, understanding that it's the grace of God, that this thing happened automatically, that your focus on the steps and your open mind and your willingness to be helpful, the agreement you made with yourself to practice these principles in all our affairs, in all of your affairs, results in this. And this is really important. We try to be humbly grateful and, and here we go and exert ourselves the more in a spirit of love and service. Continue to do the things that got you there in the first place. Don't forget that this doesn't have an end. It's not a journey to a destination. It's a journey for the sake of the journey. And I love this next line. True leadership, we find, depends upon able example, demonstration, the modeling of this program, and not upon vain displays of power and glory. Ooh, vain, vanity, you know, worthless, pointless, of no value, displays of power and glory. Still more wonderful is the feeling that we do not have to be. So when we get into this part right here, there's a lot that's important. And uh, it's gonna take a second to get through this next paragraph. You guys ready? Still more wonderful is the feeling that we do not have to be specially distinguished among our fellows in order to be useful and profoundly happy. I don't have to, I can be a part of the group. I can be thrilled for other people's success and help them achieve it. Not many of us can be leaders of prominence, right? Because it's, well, it's only a set few, right? Nor do we wish to be. Service, gladly rendered, just so you know, by default, makes you a leader. Service, gladly rendered, set you apart from other people. Obligations squarely met. Keeping the commitments you make to yourself, very important. And then once you start learning how to do that, you'll have absolute confidence in keeping the commitments you make to others. 
troubles well accepted are solved with God's help. Remember, as the Stoics love to say, the obstacle is the path. Go towards those troubles. Don't avoid them. Get out of that idea of, you know, I got to keep healthy boundaries and things like that and dive into the trouble. Practice your spiritual tools. Take these steps with you. Hmm, that is God's help, right? The knowledge at home or in the world outside, we are partners in a common effort that we're to help others. And in doing so, they help us. That's the commonality. That's the commune in community. The well-understood fact that in God's sight, all human beings are important. How are you going to function without a plumber? How are you going to function without a guy that fixes the roads or fixes your car? How are you going to get by without some person in another country that's making your Samsung or your iPhone? How are we going to do these things, right? We are absolutely dependent on one another of equal importance. The proof that love freely given surely brings a full return. I tell you, it is much more than a full return. That certainty that we are no longer isolated and alone in self-constructed prisons, arrogance, defiance, lacks of humility, the seeking of prominence, grandiosity and position at other people's expense. This idea that I'm entitled and I deserve all go to the wayside. They need to get out of the way that the roadblocks to the very thing you want. The surety that we need no longer be square pegs in round holes, but can fit and belong in God's scheme of things. You'll start to notice that you become the strategically placed person. These are the permanent and legitimate satisfactions of right living for which no amount of pomp and circumstance, no amount, and he's going to go on with that, no heap of material possessions could possibly be substitutes. That stuff's going to go away. But that relationship you build, that brotherly or sisterly love with people in your life, you don't talk to them for years. That's not going away. You'll be thrilled to see them. That sense that no one owes you nothing, but you owe them everything, right? That is how you invest into the world and get this return. In strictly uh, investment terms, the return on investment is far, far greater than can be measured because personal satisfaction, a sense of comfort with your own self. People say in meetings, I feel okay in my own skin. You know, that type of stuff, that type of stuff is worth, you can't buy it. You've got to learn how to do it. The steps walk you right on into it. And the practice of the 12 steps in all your affairs, these principles in all your affairs will absolutely deliver on that. Not maybe, not for some, not for certain ones, for anyone that can practice enough honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness to get this thing done. Because pomp and circumstance, well, they're not going to do it. And he goes on. These are the permanent, legitimate satisfactions, contentment of right living for which no amount of pomp and circumstance, no heap of material possessions could possibly be substitutes. Here we go. We're moving on. True ambition. True ambition, the real idea, is not what we thought it was. True ambition is the deep desire to live usefully, to be of maximum use to God and my fellow man, and walk humbly, seeking and doing God's will under the grace of God, knowing that everything before you was put there without any effort on you. You're not responsible for any of it. It's just there for you to play a role in it. Play a role in it. These little studies of AA's 12 steps now come to a close. 
and hooray for you that have traveled with us all the way through these 12 steps. Hooray for us, all of us, because our journey through it, I hope enriched your life and understanding. I know it certainly does mine. We have been considering so many problems that it may appear that AA consists mainly of racking dilemmas and troubleshooting. That's to some extent true. To a certain extent, that is true. We have been talking about problems because we are problem people. That's right. Who have found a way up and out and who wish to share our knowledge of that way with all. That's everybody, not just alcoholics. That's everybody, especially the ones you don't like. That's every single person in your life. You know, when you think about who's my neighbor, right? You got to love your neighbor type of thing. Who's my neighbor? Well, everyone, anyone that's near you right now, anybody that comes in contact with you today, that's your neighbor. So, hmm, share our knowledge of that way with all who can use it, for it is only not, well, one of the ways. It's not that. It says only by accepting and solving our problems, only, only by accepting, taking on the problems, the obstacles, the path, and solving our problems that we can begin to get right feel satisfied, feel content, feel a sense of significance, feel a sense of purpose in life, feel secure in our skin, feel comfortable in my own skin, right? That, that's what we're getting here, that we get right with ourselves, get right with ourselves and with the world about us and with him, God, who presides over us all, understanding. So what's this word? I think that I know what understanding is, don't I? I think I know what understanding is. It means that it's the way I think it is. Hmm. I'm not sure. It says understanding. So this is going to go outside the way that I showed up in AA thinking it was. It says understanding is the key to right principles. The key to the workable facts. The key to the workable facts that I work to understand how they, how the principles, how the steps want me to think and frame up life that I work to do it the way the steps say to do it, not my modification or my program type stuff, that I'm going to walk towards this in the manner by which directions tell me to do it. Understanding is that. Understanding, doing it the way it's said to be done, following the directions is the key to right principles, to understanding these things that never change, and attitudes, developing an approach to life, an angle of approach, a framework of thought, And right action, right action is the key to good living. So when I understand the steps, I do the next right thing. Therefore, the joy of good living is the theme of AA's 12th step. Now, it's a lot different than the big book, isn't it? The big book focuses a lot on dealing with the new prospect. This comes along 18 years later. So you got 23, 22, 24, something like that. Historians know number of years that Bill has had a chance to really work on these steps and hear hundreds, if not thousands of stories and share his experience, strength and hope all over the place in an effort to move AA out into the world. And that it gets a lot different. So when we put the two together, the newcomer is faced with this, that you are being trained in AA to save another person's life. Yeah. Your life gets saved by happenstance. The process of the steps enables you to literally have the ability to perhaps save another person's life. That's why you do the steps. They're not for you. 
It's not by you. They are through you, through you. Get the steps through you. God through me, it tells me several times in the book. How do I present this to the world? How do I demonstrate it? How do I make it more attractive? How do I make it so that another alcoholic who is wet and scared and desperate puts their faith in AA through me so that we can get them to you, our groups and our meetings, so that we can help that person together in commonality and in community to survive. So there's one little piece that we still have to go over. And this is so important in practicing these principles in our affairs. It says, with each passing day of our lives, may every one of us sense more deeply the inner meaning of AA's simple prayer. AA's simple prayer. We got all kinds of prayers. We got like a third step prayer and a fourth step prayer and a fifth step prayer. It goes on and on. We got, we got all kinds of prayers. Seven step prayer, you know, I make up my prayers. I got, I got a left shoe prayer and a right shoe prayer and I got my blue t-shirt prayer. Whatever it is, there's all sorts of prayers in AA, but this one, this one is so cool because when I get into conflict, I like to say the serenity prayer. And when, and I don't always say it, you know, but when I get in there, I, I, I often immediately default. Like my sixth step tells me that no matter how much I think I've gotten rid of my defects of character, there still could be some or are some lurking even deeper that I'm just unaware of. I never fully get rid of them. And for me, this was one of those spots, you know, this is somewhere where I found that to be true because I read this a lot of times. Didn't pick up on it. Didn't pick up on it. So it says, now, a lot of us in a meeting, we open or close the meeting with the serenity prayer. And it goes, God grant blank the serenity to accept the things blank can't change, right? However, if I'm in conflict with someone else, my big book gives me a different set of instructions. It talks about doing what's right for the other person, regardless of how grievously they may have treated me. Hmm. So this serenity prayer, this version of it is vital for that reason. And what it says is different. You guys ready? Because it says, God grant us the serenity. God grant my AA group the serenity to carry this message into this world with all the love, patience, kindliness, and tolerance you've instructed us to do. God grant us the serenity in this conflict. So this person I'm in conflict, this institution I'm in conflict with, this organization, this idea I'm in conflict with, that we can find some sort of resolution here. God grant us the serenity so that we can see each other's point of view. God grant us the serenity to do the right thing in spite of my feelings, but in concert with them, in spite of my opinions, in spite of my fears, in spite of my habits, but in concert with them. God grant us us, me and you. I want you to find peace. I want you to find the things that help you as well. Because I know that when God intervenes and we both find that serenity, that deep soulful peace, that this conflict will get resolved on the basis of love. God grant us the serenity to accept the things we can't change. It could be five minutes ago. It could be the rules that I've broken or that I don't like. It could be an obligation that I have to accept the things that we cannot change. We, me and that group, me and that organization. It could be a police officer giving you a ticket. Who knows? But we can't change it. We can't change it. We, me or you. Look at what the other person is. Uh, try to get their point of view. Try to understand where they're coming from. Lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. 
the courage to change the things we can. May, may they drop their anger towards me. I'm going to do it towards them, God, you know. Please help them drop it towards me. Please help them feel better. God, you know, help us. God, help us. And the wisdom to know the difference, to come to the conclusion at the end of the 12th step, thinking not me, but we, not them, but us, to understand that I'm a part of a community, that I am a commonality in AA, and that even though the names change and the faces change around AA, the behavior, the problems never change. And that's why our big book in AA and our 12 steps and 12 traditions are so vital to us. God grant us the serenity to accept the things we cannot change, the courage to change the things we can, and that the wisdom to know the difference is vital. And when you find yourself in conflict, when you're all alone in this world, and you say, you know, God, save me from being angry. When you find yourself out in this world exposed, you know, childish, emotionally sensitive and grandiose, don't just pray for you. Pray for the other person too. Give it the old treatment of page 552. Yeah, page 552 is where Norman Vincent Peale, a preacher, gives us this idea on how to manage resentment. And it matches this serenity prayer exactly. In essence, I'm not going to read it to you, but it says that if you resent something and you want to be free of it, pray for that person to find peace. And, well, you'll be free. Pray for them to get everything you want out of life. And you'll be free, even if you don't mean it, even if it's just words. It doesn't matter. Do it anyway, and you will be free. That's what we're after. It's the interest in other people that frees us from the bondage of self. It's an amazing thing. So as you guys talk about it today, my hope is that uh, in any group situation that you might bring up this version of the serenity prayer. God grant us the serenity to accept the things we cannot change, the courage to change the things that we can and the wisdom to know the difference and talk about the value of prayer and hope and kindliness and patience and tolerance of people that maybe we don't share that with and talk about the difficulties you encounter with that childish, emotionally sensitive and grandiose alcoholic that may occasionally still intrude right on into your life. I know it still does with me. And also talk about, and what might be really important is to contrast that with the people that are mature, that have matured in the AA's 12 steps. If you've been around a while, you've sponsored a lot of people, you've walked through these steps, and you honestly believe that most days you're giving a good, honest effort to do this. That might be great to hear how well that works and how different your life is as a result. Thank you for hanging out for the 12 steps and the 12 and 12, and I hope you have a great discussion.